Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast. The podcast where we, Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Two warnings. This podcast uses barnyard language. Why limit ourselves to only nice words? Some things warrant not-so-nice words. Also, spoiler warning, we will be talking about the endings of both book and movie, so prepare yourself. Okay. Let's get into it. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edify. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Hello and welcome to this episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. Today we are doing something a little bit different. Today we are talking about the pages, but we're leaving off the popcorn. That's right. Today we will be talking about the book, Shadow and Bone, but we will not be talking about its film, television, adaptation quite yet. That's coming later in a format currently undetermined. But we're going to talk about it and figure it out. So, Editor Kalia here. I added an explanation of how we are going to cover the whole Netflix series at the end of this episode. It is also posted on our social media and on our website. Thanks. Today, yes, we're going to talk about this. And we are going to start our discussion in just a second. But real quick, just a reminder that you can find our show notes and sources and links and affiliate links and Patreon information, and our store, and information about our upcoming pop-in event, and all of that stuff at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Pages and Popcorn link, and all of that information will be right there. And of course, you are welcome to email us at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Find me and KMMA Media on Instagram. And you, of course, can check us out on Twitter, but fair warning, Twitter scares the crap out of me, and I hardly ever use it. Shadow and Bone is a young adult fantasy adventure and debut novel written by Israeli-American author Lee Bardo. It was published in June of 2012, and here is the recap. Alina Starkov is a teenage girl who grew up with Malian or Mal at an orphanage in Karenzin. You know what? I'm just going to stop right now and say there's a lot of Russian words that I cannot pronounce. So forgive me and I will do my best. Starting over, Alina is a teenage girl who grew up with Mal in an orphanage in the kingdom of Ravka. The story begins as they march through the Unsea, also called the Fold, a perpetually dark, barren strip of land cutting most of Ravka off from the sea. Periodic expeditions sent across the fold to transport goods and bring back imports are often plagued by monsters called Volkra that inhabit the unsea. During their crossing, the Volkra attack, and while saving Mal, Alina displays an extraordinary Grisha talent. The Grisha are people with the ability to manipulate the elements to use as weapons, i.e. to call fire, to summon wind, to regulate hearts. Alina is apparently, and surprising to everyone including herself, able to summon light, and thus is considered a sun summoner. How did no one notice her powers, you might ask? Well, apparently when the two orphans were tested as children, 
Alina chose to hide her powers and stamp it out so that she could stay with Mal. The secret is out now, though, and the leader of the Grisha, the Darkling, rushes Alina to the capital. He says her power is unique and valuable, which makes her an assassination target by enemies. He's all dark and broody and totally a problematic love interest, and it's hard to tell if he like likes her or he just appreciates her powers. She struggles to fit in with other Grisha and have confidence in her own abilities as she begins rigorous training. There's also a lecherous king, a vain queen, and a Grisha named Jenna, who's a face tailor, who's beautiful, and who loves a total metal nerd who totally does not know that she exists. Jenna is a bit of an outcast and is therefore perfect best friend material for Alita. There's also a creepy priest guy, and then I found a typo in the book, and it drove me crazy. Anyways, Alina also feels a strong attraction to the Darkling, which again, he seems to reciprocate. During two different encounters, they kiss. Alina is confused by her reactions to the kisses. Also, also, there's another Grisha that Alina dislikes. Also, 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 her powers are hard to use and it takes her forever to learn how to use them. They are tied to her emotions, it seems, and she has to let go of her hope and love of Mal in order to really access them. So there's that. She starts to get better and gets physically fight trained as well and gets these really cool gloves with like mirrors on them so she can blind her opponents before punching them. It's all very cool. Training montage. After demonstrating her powers to the king and his court at a pretty epic royal ball, Alina is crushing it at her powers and she and the Darkling almost have sex in a side chamber because it's all hot and powerful and awesome and rawr. But then Alina bumps into Mal and they have a bit of a fight because Mal never wrote to her, but maybe he apparently hadn't been getting any of her letters. And so there's this big communication about who cares for whom and he's all jealous. And then he fucks away to do his job of tracking down a magic stag for the Darkling. The Darkling's power, by the way, is that he can summon darkness. But I'm sure. Also, what he's a like. Twist. <laughs> also, he's a bit of an amplifier, and amplifiers are these things that they all can all wear, and that makes their powers. Well, you guessed it, amplified. As if this one night cannot get any more exciting, Alina is told by her tutor Bakra that she must flee. But the Darkling is using her. The Darkling has created the MC and that he intends to enslave her and use her Grisha power to conquer the world. Bagra also reveals that she is the Darkling's mother. So Alina flees. Two weeks into Alina's flight, she's nearly captured, but is saved by Mal, who has a nearly supernatural ability to track and was sent to find her. Instead of turning her in though, he helps her escape. They decide to hunt a magic stag to the far north together. Because see, if Alina kills the stag and makes a necklace of his antlers as an amplifier, her powers will be greatly amplified. After much time and effort, Alina and Mal found the stag, just as they realize how much they love each other. She refuses to kill the stag and the stag acknowledges this. At that moment, the Darkling and his minions appear. The Darkling kills the stag and forces the antler necklace on Alina, making her his absolute slave, unable to disobey him in the slightest. They quickly return south to the major crossing point of the Unsea. The Darkling forces Alina to protect the ship during the crossing. Near the other side, the Darkling extends the Unsea, causing great death and destruction upon the people on the other side. He then throws Mal off the ship onto the unsea to be devoured by monsters. In desperation, Alina finally realizes that her act of mercy in sparing the stag has given her the possibility to break free of the Darkling's enslavement. Her love of Mal grants her the strength that she needs, and Alina breaks free, leaps off the ship, saves Mal, and destroys the ship. The book ends with Mal and Alina taking passage across the true sea, escaping from Ravka 
and the Darkling. And we all know there's more to come. So, Kalia, how much do you love love triangles? I hate love triangles. <laughs> I hate them so much, Jennifer. Okay. I hate when people don't talk to one another. Miscommunication as, as a plot device is stupid. But I also hate when people are like, two people love me and I can't decide because, I mean, first of all, polyamory is a thing. So are throuples. But also, also, like, a lot of times it doesn't feel like it's a fair comparison. You're like, hmm, should I eat this salad that's good for me? Or should I eat this bag of potato chips that's not good for me? And you know what I say, Jennifer? I say eat them both. That's what I say. <laughs> okay, but before we talk about the romantic, romantic subplot, I want to talk about something I loved about this book. Okay. Loved might be too strong. Really enjoyed was the world building. I like their, their magic system. As someone who reads a fair amount of fantasy and who has attempted in the past to write fantasy, I can tell you writing a magic system that doesn't borrow too heavily from other magic systems that is like unique enough, but also has enough familiar aspects can be tricky. And this one seems to do that. There's a good balance because of course we've got elements, we've got people who do things. What I, I kind of missed though was the fact that it was, it wasn't, okay. In world building and exposition, authors usually tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. And I, I'm glad that nobody like sat somebody down and was like, let me explain the entire magic system of this world to you. At the same time, there's reasons authors do that. It's so that we don't get confused because I did feel at a couple points, I'm like, oh, and now there's this other people, part of the Grisha who have these powers. And then there's ones over here and wait, this person has this color on, which means something, but it's, I mean, it's it's both lived in, but not actually explained as much. I, I kind of would have benefited from a little bit of guidance or a little bit of somebody talking, even if they had to be talking in exposition early on to really understand the different parts of the magic, because I felt like at some point the author just decided to add something new. And because it had never been explained earlier, it was fine. We didn't have anything to compare it to. Does that make sense? Um, have you heard of Brandon Sanderson's hard, soft magic systems? Vaguely. <laughs> the basic premise is that you have soft systems, and this would be like Harry Potter, where the magic really isn't the point. It's about character. Mm -hmm. And so the magic's just there to kind of move this or that forward in the plot, do a fancy thing. But really what you're looking at is the characters. Um, a hard system is when it has like just these are the rules. This is how it works. That's it. So Avatar The Last Airbender is much more like that, where you have elements, this is how they work, this is what you can do, and you can't cheat by having, well, and then here's kind of a magic thing that we're going to pull out of our ass at the last minute. Yes. Because that feels like cheating when you're having a hard magic system. Huh. I like it hard. You like it hard, baby? I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know why? I think it's because, okay, so one of the things that I... I have had trouble with my own writing is I'm like, okay, here's this fantasy world. And like, okay, they, they live in this village. Well, how many people make up a village? Okay. And then like, what do they have? They must have to have 
fish. Okay. I want them to have fish. So that means they have to live near some kind of waterway. Now, are they going to have metal? Are they going to have mining? Wait, mining seems a little, okay, wait, are they going to have, who's growing food? Is there cultivation? Maybe there's another village that grows all the food and then the, another village that maybe has all the trees and they chop down trees. Okay. What kind of houses are they living in? What's their mode of fire, transportation, communications, writing style, medicine? Oh my God. And then I get in the weeds and then who cares? And then the book's never finished being written so like i get it it can be overwhelming it's the same thing when you're trying to design a game design if you're playing like some version of dungeons and dragons or dragon world or i mean even freaking monster hearts right like you have to think about all of these different elements and what goes into it and and i get that sometimes you just don't you're like nope it's about the story but personally i am a weirdo who gets distracted by details for example when this book made a colossally huge freaking typo it bothered me immensely i put that a lot more uh down to an editor at sleep at the wheel i mean it's so big though okay i posted about it on social media but i'm gonna talk about it again on page 71 72 73 she's like i went to the library i'm in the library and i'm talking to the creepy priest and blah 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 blah, blah. and then on page 143 or something maybe it's 43 and 171 i don't know whatever there's like 30 pages later she's like i finally got my first chance to go to the library and i was like no literally in the last chapter you were in the library having a conversation with the priest i read it multiple times like i went and looked i i showed it to somebody else am i missing something it's such a big thing that it takes me out of the story and that's super disappointing because people read this a lot of people read this before it got published right i mean it's just mm, it bugs me so then i start thinking well if they miss this what other plot holes are they are there you know exist here that i'm just either not picking up or whatever but so yeah some of the magic stuff again to to, to get back to my my point i feel it was relevant i feel like it would have been nice if some of the magic had been explained earlier on so that we kind of had a sense of who the Grisha were and what their limitations were. And we didn't just have suddenly new Grisha with different powers showing up down the road. That is all. So yeah, that's a little bit of a cheat. And I really hate clumsy exposition. There's nothing like if love triangles disturb you, clumsy exposition just drives me batty. Yeah. And I have put down novels going, no, nope, we have Basil exposition coming in telling us the thing it's awkward as fuck and there's so many better ways to do exposition so in that sense i don't mind having slower reveals and going okay we're with her on this journey because she doesn't quite understand everything that's going on she doesn't know the ends they're just like people who do amazing stuff and as an outsider that kind of helps give you the sense of mystique that this group has so that when you're on the inside you're going oh this is what they actually are you still understand what it's like to be on the outside. I get that. I just feel that as the reader, we didn't know all of what Alita knew. So like, I'm okay with us not knowing what she doesn't know and us learning together. But sometimes I felt like Alina knew stuff that we as the readers didn't know because nobody had bothered to tell us, but it was like expected that either we didn't need to know it, which we did, or that we would be okay with not knowing it, which I wasn't. So, you know, again, your mileage yeah, will vary. So that's but, clumsy. Yeah, that was, yeah exactly yeah there's a lot of a lot of special words and designations and sometimes it was confusing as to who does what and why uh you know 
this is her first book too i mean so that's so very impressive this yeah as a first book it's actually pretty good but these are kind of like first book problems of all right you're writing one plot and i can see where you know you revise something and then didn't do the thing to make it fit so like the library yeah you know it could have been simple oh i was just so excited to see the library and you see it from the outside but you don't get to explore it and so my first time was really this is the first time i actually get to use it and that's the kind of revision that gets lost when you're doing so many drafts as a first time writer you usually spend like 10 years writing your first book and then you whip them out you know every couple months to once a year <laughs> i'm sure that's your experience kalia oh yeah for sure for sure <laughs> Another thing about the writing style, since we're kind of on this, is the there's a prologue and an epilogue that are both written in third person, but the whole rest of the book is written in first person. So it's obviously a choice, and it's a choice that I don't understand and I didn't like. Your mileage will vary, of course, but when you have third person writing you're detached from the characters, but you also know more than they know because you're this omnipotent, you know, narrator and you can get other people's point of view. When you're a first person writing, you really only have the point of view of the one person. And so everything's going to get filtered through what they think and feel, and they can be wrong about things. They can misunderstand, blah, blah, blah. And we're not given enough to know the full story, which is fine. That's a narrative choice and it can work really well. It can very much make you on the side of that character, even when they're acting irrationally because we're in their brain and we're seeing, you know, how they got there and, you know, we're sympathetic to them because that's how it's written. So to put it into third person at the beginning when they're children, seems a little weird because I don't really understand the point of making us detached and getting more information than the, than the child would give us, except that they're children. So maybe, okay. But then to go back, I can almost forgive it as a prologue, but then to go back to third person for the epilogue was just jarring and strange. And, and we're not actually getting anybody else's anything it just, it felt very, it felt very strange. And I don't know, because this is the first in a trilogy, having not read any of the other books in this trilogy and not really wanting to know. So this is a, one of those uh, rhetorical question here. I don't know if like the next book starts from another person's POV or is in third person. So like maybe the author is preparing us for that. I don't know, maybe that's giving too much credit, but it just, it was very jarring especially the epilogue. Again, the prologue, I can kind of say, okay, we're gonna like set the stage yada yada but the epilogue the epilogue was weird to be in third person did you bump on that or is it just me yeah it it it's super awkward and if it was phrased in any other way like if you had a chronicler you know like conan you know the movie like the older movies you know <laughs> here's the chronicler and this is you know how i come to know him in the story and you know something like that to give it a, a sort of a narrative frame that would have been a it would have been okay, but it would have been understandable. As it is, it's just weird choices that a good editor would have gone, no, 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 we're not doing that. Yeah. yeah. Pro tip, Kalia, the editor. Yeah. You would have no. totally fixed that. That's why people should hire you as an editor. <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. Find out more at kaliametcalf.com. Um, <laughs> but okay, so so there's a, a thing we don't like. The, the love triangle, which we're going to talk about more. The thing we do like, which is the magic system. A thing we don't like, which is clunky exposition. A thing we don't like, which is third person, first person, flipping, flopping about. I do like Alina-ish. 
I like-ish. I like-ish, Alina. This is very YA formula. Sometimes I liked her and sometimes I just kind of like was like, oh yeah, you're the, that familiar thing of the YA, you know, the girl who's not like other girls. Oh God. It's extremely YA formula. It is very YA formula. Yes. It almost felt like paint by numbers. And I personally hate the not like other girls thing. And Alina has it in spades. But she's so ugly with her brown hair. And her bags under her eyes because she doesn't sleep. And and she's skinny because we all hate skinny brown haired girls. Like all the top models that are up there. Yeah. 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 I... Yes. And like, you're like, okay, she's a map maker. So she's in the army. Like, you know, she's not, she, it's very, no, I don't understand. I don't even know how she's not like other girls, except that the author keeps telling, or Alina herself keeps telling us how she's not like other girls. And then she gets to the Grisha place and she's not like them because they're all, you know, annoying and you know superficial and catty and all of these things. And, you know, she's different because her best friend was a dude but she didn't have any other friends did this give you like hunger game flashbacks yeah it was very hunger game slash divergent slash yeah maze runner slash even a little harry potter i'm different i'm the chosen one here at this special school that everybody else knows about that i didn't even know about you know so with twilight she has to be clumsy with this one well (laughs) i'm a map maker i'm just not very good at it ha ha yeah you know there's always she can't just be a competent person and she has to be not attractive except that she is really attractive well okay so this is a really good way to to bridge into the discussion of mal she's not attractive we time to find out that she's not attractive because she's been holding back her power she stamped down her power her natural power she's hiding it away she's pushing it down and denying its very existence uh, a light under a bushel almost yes. literally um because she wanted to stay with mal because even as a child she was in love well not in love but she was like this is my friend this is this person that i care about and i am powerful enough to whatever make this choice that i'm gonna stamp down my power so that i can stay with this guy okay and then once she lets go of him mentally emotionally i just decided to move on with her life suddenly she blossoms and she glows and she sleeps well and her bags disappear and she has inner beauty and i'm like wow this is super feminist and awesome like you don't need a man men can sometimes like stomp on your power and like trying to fit yourself to mold another person whether that's a man or a woman or a parent or a child or a sibling or anything can be destructive but then then that's that message (laughs) like hardcore oh wait i do need a man i not only do i need a man at the end but also my love for him is what helps me break this self-imposed restriction on my power because i really had the power inside me all along (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) dorothy just click your heels three times and you can go home Oh my god. There was a lot I was originally liking about this. I I like that she learns how smoke and mirrors the beauty industry is in a way. I I think Mm -hmm. that's a massively important lesson for uh, teenage girls to learn is that, and even if you intellectually know it, 
when you see you know airbrush models you don't know that it's all smoke and mirrors you know take Haley berry for example uh, she is an absolutely gorgeous woman Halle Berry? Yeah, Halle Berry. She is an absolutely gorgeous woman, but a lot of that is still smoke and mirrors. If you see how she looks naturally, it's nothing like what you see on the screen. Right. And there's a lot of models who are like that, where they are very beautiful women, but it's not the airbrush perfection that you normally are produced to. Well, and there is a thing called contouring, (laughs) which gives you cheekbones if you do not have them, created by shades of makeup (laughs) to make your face look like it has a completely different shape than it actually naturally has. So, yes, I love, I think her name is Jenna or Jenya, G-E-N-Y-A. I call her Jenna in my head and in my recap. But, you know, she's the, the flesh tailor. She can make people look differently, partly with makeup. She has little powders and vials and stuff, but partly with her magics, you know, glamours. <laughs> There's a reason why glamour means both glamour and glamour, right? As in magic, yeah, yes. as an illusion. As a fakeness, yes. So, so that part of it, it's like, that's a good lesson to learn is a lot of what makes people look good are tiny little tricks. So mm-hmm. the reason why clothes look good on Hollywood people is because they have them tailored. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to do. Spend $5 getting your shirt tailored and it will make you look amazing versus just off the rack. And that's a massive lesson that people don't know about. Right. And I mean, so a per- can, if you want to look really awesome in your clothes, just spend a little money and get them tailored. Which is a point of privilege too, because you not only have to buy like the clothes, whatever, and then, and know what, what colors look good on you and have the freedom to do that, but also like have the time, energy and money resources to go and get them tailored for you. I mean, maybe this isn't a privilege thing, but a lot of us yo-yo <laughs> in our weight <laughs> and size and shape. <laughs> and so if I, That's oh my true, God, yeah. so this is funny, actually tiny tangent here, but I had a whole bunch of clothes in my closet several years ago and I had lost a bunch of weight and I gave them to my friend to, you know, alter them down. I was like, I'm not going to buy new clothes. These are, these are still good. I like them. And she's very busy. I love you, Ashley. She's very busy. She's in school. She has a child. Like, okay, she's got a life, this whole thing. She got them back to me. It had been like two years maybe. And I didn't fit into them anymore. And I was like, oh my God, I need to have you alternate them back to be bigger. <laughs> COVID. COVID is wrecked so many lives. Oh yeah. Let's, uh, let's blame COVID. Sure. It has nothing to do with all the Cheetos I ate pre-COVID. <laughs> but yes, no. So anyways, yes, alternating or altering your clothes, you know, having the, the knowledge, know-how, time and energy and, you know, commitment to doing all that stuff. It, it's a whole thing. Like there's a thing about, you know, a lot of us could quote unquote look better, you know, the beauty standards, whatever, if we had a personal chef, personal trainer, and that was literally our entire job, you know, but um yeah, but just so, I, I, I like seeing, you know, behind the glamour. So you know that these people are human and what you really do see, the thing that's like hurting you emotionally when you look at these gorgeous pictures and trying to compare yourself isn't really there. Right. Well, and then the other thing too, in this particular book, the the beautiful Jenna is has also caught the attention of the lecherous king. And it's never outright stated, but it I mean, it seems to me that there was definitely sexual abuse happening yes. between the king and and Jenna because of her beauty. So there's like this double-edged sword of, you know, you don't want to get the wrong attention because men, especially, you know, 
that's that's a thing and it's and how sad is it that if she's being abused because she's beautiful and she says the king likes beautiful things we're going to make you look good and how that perpetuates right this kind of awfulness right and then the vain queen who also seems to know what's up with the king but doesn't care which is also definitely a thing that happens uh, and so or yeah just that she's kind of given up on that battle i feel like there's a lot to be said about power structures and who has it and who doesn't and why and all of that stuff in this book you know because we have the king then we have who's not a magical user and then we have the magical users who are like so the king has his regular army and then there's like the magical user people army and then you know and so there's like this power structure and then there's religion randomly because we have this creepy priest who kind of gets forgotten about at some point and i'm guessing it's because he's you know going to show up in the other books but he's there is a little bit of an arger and and, oh you're meant for great things and then kind of gone right and he seems very creepy but if you read he seems creepy because again we're in first person perspective and alina thinks he's creepy but if you were not in alina's head i don't think we would see him as creepy we would see him as like you know concerned because again there's like a going to be potentially a power vacuum if these magic people versus the king and then there's obviously a church which isn't really talked about but so there's there's deities in this world but then there's also magic which is very confusing you don't often see that usually they go part and parcel the people who are the magic users are also part of the organized religion or there isn't one or the other do you know what i mean yeah so there's some funky things going on with power structures yeah for sure my next note is the boy she loves is a twit <laughs> <laughs> the maladapted oh nice <laughs> he's like so boring <laughs> he's he's okay yeah he's just he's kind of a little bit of a playboy he wants to do this different stuff he's he's in with the bros Mm -hmm. bro culture and she's not like other girls because she can hang out she's a chill girl at you know at some point if you don't know that phrasing look it up and i just okay again we don't see mal's whatever we get from mal only what he chooses to tell alina what she you know remembers and focuses on so like they're best friends yada yada then he becomes good looking he's a total playboy he's out there sleeping around enjoying his best life but he's got this best friend like he she's always got his back like he's basically keeping her there and then he gets super butthurt because she has like moved on she kissed another guy yeah yeah Matt was doing more than kissing to those other uh-huh. girls and so now he's all just now suddenly he realizes that he cares for her and i i hate that trope that is so that's such a big red flag if the person says that they like you only after after you've moved on yeah it's so bad it's so annoying and then they travel and they don't talk for a while which is also stupid annoying i'm like you are talking you're literally walking for miles and miles and miles every day and then camping and it takes you two weeks or three or whatever until you finally have this conversation which maybe that's me i cannot stand awkward silences as you know (laughs) but uh so you guys can't see this i just gave kayla a look no i'm not talking i'm gonna make this as fucking awkward as possible (laughs) so i just i mal again we we almost had a great lesson here we Uh almost had a fantastic lesson of she was hiding who she truly was she was hiding the power for a boy 
and it made her feel awful even if she didn't realize it at the time and then she's finally out and she's going oh my god i don't feel awful mm-hmm. and he's kind of a dick not returning my letters and that actually has a fairly decent explanation but still there's so many girls who feel like they have to make themselves less than mm-hmm. in order to please a guy and it's only when you're your full self when you're really who you are when you're not hiding who you are that you are that you know awesome person you know, so I, I kind of don't blame Mal in a certain way with being bored because she was boring. She was hiding, you know, all her abilities. Yeah, except that. <laughs> so then he's like, damn, you are pretty special. <laughs> and instead of saying, I should have realized how special you were, but I'm stupid. Um, and also, no, he's just like, how dare you? And he's just very judgy and gross to her and i just i didn't like it at all and she takes it so you're comparing this earlier to a salad versus the potato chip and i was thinking you know this is this is like two foods that are actually really bad for you yeah that's true <laughs> you know they're both kind of awful they're going to make you feel bad it's it's i guess it's a one of those famous Amos cookies from the vending machines versus tiramisu from like the Cheesecake Factory, right? They're both bad for you, but one is going to be way more enjoyable. Cough, cough, darkling. <laughs> so yeah, he has the Draco and leather pants thing going for him. Uh, he has a lot going for him. <laughs> Except he turns out to be a total douche nozzle at the end. Yeah. And if it weren't for that, he'd be a lot more interesting. So here's the thing. As I'm reading this, I'm like, obviously they want to make him the bad guy and she's going to fall for him but if i'm reading everything that i that he actually says if you if you you can take it as he's a bad guy or you can take it as him not actually being a bad guy like maybe he's doing that tropey thing of i had to keep you away from me because i was full of feelings you know and all of that stuff which you see a lot of times and it isn't until the very end where he with the stag and he you know then okay true colors he is actually bona fide super bad guy but I felt like up until then, he hadn't actually been a bad guy. He had been like broody and he hadn't explained everything to her. But I mean, did he need to? And and then his mom shows up and she's like, yeah, no, he's bad. And Alina's like, OK, I'm going to believe you. I don't know. I guess maybe I just like to watch the world burn. I would have loved for her to go and talk to him right then and been like, so are you actually a bad guy? Is this your actual plan or like, what's the deal? But yeah, but nobody's going to come out and say, yeah, I'm really an awful person. Well, but if he had said, here's my actual plan, you know, I mean, then she could have drawn her own conclusions. I was I was maybe naively and stupidly optimistically hoping that the end, like his evil, evil, in quote, evil plan wasn't actually evil. It was just misunderstood or like different, you know? And this is kind of the, the problem I have with a lot of love triangles is that we have to make one person the obvious bad mm-hmm. because choices are hard. Yes. <laughs> so let's set up this false dilemma mm-hmm. and then go, oh, well, you don't have a dilemma at all. See? Ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, to its credit, this book got there faster. In the Hunger Games, you know, Gabe and Peta were both decent choices until the end. Uh, so there was a little bit more of a of a struggle there because even though Peter was boring he wasn't bad and gave whatever I'm digressing now because all of these YA books are the same Peter team Peter man he wasn't boring he he was really good at cake decorating that's not boring I mean I like cake but um 
yeah, yeah, it, it seemed like a cop out at the end to make him super evil, like not just, you know, bad or different or I, it would have been so much better if he had a different plan for the world. You know, OK, I'm sorry, I'm going to tangent again. Here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> Follow with okay, me. Ready yes. for the tangent. Okay. In the Kevin Costner film, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, there is the evil sheriff Nottingham, right? OK. And he's got his bad reasons for doing all of his stuff. Okay, he's the bad guy, very clearly. But at one point, he attacks the Merry Men camp. I don't think they called them since Merry Men in this movie. I'm sorry. The whatever. No, they're the men in tights. <laughs> the, the Sherwood Forest people. He, he captures a bunch of them. He's going to kill a bunch of them. You know, all this stuff. Because they're, I mean, you know, from a political standpoint, they're the rabble rousers. They're, they're a threat to his authority. Like, all this stuff. Like, I get it on paper why if you're an evil king or sheriff, like, you need to put down this uprising, right? Sure. Okay. And then they all have children. And Maid Marian says, don't kill the children. And he says to her, if I don't kill them, they will grow up and kill me. Like that, because they're old enough to realize what, what I'm doing. And if I give them mercy, they will grow up and they will, they will revolt. So even though I don't want to kill children, although in this movie, Alan Rubin kind of did want to kill children. But the point is, even if you don't want to kill the children, like you have to stop the violence at some point so that there's not another generation that'll come up because literally that is what happens is that you know people like and then they're indoctrinated and then they they plan and they wait and like and then you have blood fuse so Felia, what you're saying is that genocide is good no. because then <laughs> you don't have to deal no. with your enemies later I'm on i'm not saying that what i'm saying is that he is making this argument that feels like, to him feels very rational and even though we can totally disagree with it because we should a hundred percent the rational aspect of it is there it's it's the rational part is valid what it's actually saying is not valid genocide's bad don't kill children whatever but if the darkling had had a similar kind of speech like i have to do this because i'm playing chess not checkers and i have to destroy this part of the land so that this other thing can happen and da, 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 and like showed that he was thinking broader or bigger and not just kill all the people because i'm a baddie baddie bad man with my mustache like i would have appreciated it so much more essentially you do have a rational explanation of these wars have to stop mm -hmm. this is a way to stop war yeah and if you, i i i wish the author had faith enough in her readers to let that be complicated yeah so that that you could struggle with it and be like okay i understand that stopping war is good but the way you're doing it is bad you know instead of just being like like I said, he just becomes this mustache twirling guy. Also, like we don't actually see him die, so like he's not really dead. We, it's a, it's a trilogy. He's got to come back, right? But this is what makes Marvel movies better: is because you have villains who have rationality. Yes, that is true. <laughs> yes, but that's that's the thing. Like a villain who who thinks of themselves as as a villain is less interesting than a villain who thinks of themselves as the hero, right? It just they're just more interesting well that's what made of... black panther a good film is that you know you have your villain oh. and you're like you know he has a point he has some really good points yeah yes he does and you know you do you find yourself sympathizing going yeah you are being kind of um, isolationist and, and you're perpetuating problems by being isolationist and that's that's a bad thing mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah i mean that that's what makes a really interesting villain is that they challenge you and there yes. are points when he does this like you know, he, he basically cuts a guy in half with his brain. 
Yes. She's pretty damn cool. And, and Darkling. We're back to the Darkling now. Yeah, yes. So to, Darkling. to protect her because this is during one of the assassination attempts as they're traveling. And she is rightfully freaked out. If somebody was split in half in front of me, I and, and just like on top of her. On top of me. Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. And you're covered with blood. And this is horrific. And then he's like, oh, what, how is it different than if I used a sword? Right. And it's like, uh, yeah, okay. Kind of have a point there. Right. The up close killing versus the detached killing right you shoot an arrow he's still dead i cut this guy in half he's still dead actually probably faster than an arrow in the neck so maybe it's uh more humane oh i don't know like if his if his head's intact how long his brain would still be alive going oh shit i i'm cut in half i feel like i felt like he kind of got cut, cut from crown to bum though like it felt like it was like that i, I kind of maybe thought it slashways so like across the neck and kind of halfway down the torso even there i feel like like the wounds it's would so horrific <laughs> okay it's horrific yes i i mean okay so apparently this is me kaylee hates love kaylee likes the dark villain <laughs> i i was in it to win it for the dark lake and i was super rooting for him until he became super super mustache totally evil then of course i'm not going to root for you know genocide blah 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 yes yes but i was i was i i liked it they almost had sex in a room jennifer i was surprised like that is a little bit further than most ya books go there's no chaste kissing here this was like he had his her skirt up and his hand on her thigh and like she's like contemplating if they're gonna go all the way so again, you know, speaking to lessons for your audience, it is kind of a, a thing to say you're getting swept up in emotions and this is not necessarily a good thing because you're not making rational choices. It feels good at the time and Kaylee is making a face going, do what feels good. Eat the goddamn <laughs> potato chips and ice cream. I'm like, yeah, it's not a bad thing to kind of take a step back and think about what's going on rationally because he does have this power over her emotionally. Yeah, I you know. know. He, he puts his hand in her hair and it feels good on one level. And then he's also doing something manipulative to her emotionally at the same time. And there's Kaylee going, stop dragging this down. <laughs> Tell me more about his hand and her hair, Jennifer. <laughs> but that is emotional manipulation. I mean, anytime you're like trying to get someone to, like, you know, and you're kissing and you're like, I would have rather seen that through conversation and... where he he does challenge her occasionally, and she goes, "Okay, you kind of have a point." But to have him talk with her and that is something that makes her feel calm instead of just i'm going to use magic because the magic is cool but you want a mate who's you know really there for you and when he's actually yes yes you want a mate who's good and talks and communicates and validates your feelings or you're just a teenager you just want to get off i want to <laughs> just have sex in a random room with a dark stranger actually he's not a stranger so it doesn't count but i'm just saying for the record there's nothing wrong with one night stands as long as everyone's in the same emotional place they were obviously not in the same emotional place so this would have been bad she should not have slept with him and i'm glad that she didn't even if i super wanted her to you're totally not glad that she didn't no i'm not i think she should have because <laughs> then she could have learned a bigger lesson while also getting her rocks off because it's not fair for mal to have all the sex <laughs> Okay, on that one, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's really unfair how a lot of female uh, heroines have to be virginal or chaste. And it's like, 
no, she should be able to get the guy and have fun and still learn like the lesson. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, yes. Yeah. So let's get let's get um this puritanical sort of nonsense out of our fiction. Yes, please. You can have sex with Draco in leather pants and still end up with a good guy. Sure. Yeah, and you're right, because this book could have a lot of lessons for, you know, this is teen girls i feel like it's definitely written for teen girls uh the idea of the woman's uncertainty in the world like where does she fit in you know and what what how how can she best serve her kingdom and herself and her blah 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 blah. like there's some really good things with that i just felt like it wasn't really from a writing perspective there's no reason for her to be an outcast when she was first starting out yeah and if she had, like, Alexia was her only friendship and he dies, but that's the thing that would have made it a little bit more interesting is if she had her tribe and then is forced away from that to this other group that she doesn't feel comfortable with, but they fit her on another right. level. But instead, instead of her having a friends group, she has the guy that she's been pining after who doesn't realize that she exists as more than... I yeah. would have liked this book so much more if she and Mal had just been firmly friends. Yes. And that would have been like a great It could thing. have stayed platonic. She could have still stamped herself down because she platonically wanted to protect a friend, right? She still could have needed to let go, maybe not of Mal, but like of her old life or like let go of the person who she thought of herself as. She decided as a child when she, you know, covered up her magical powers that she was going to be basic and normal and unremarkable because that was safe. And if the lesson then was like, she decided, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to be fucking weird. And I'm going to embrace my weirdness and my inner power. And then, you know, she was able to access her power. So it didn't have to be a love thing. It could have just been a self-empowerment thing. And then she still could have been like, I want to be your friend. And she still could have chosen him at the end and been like, no, I'm choosing my friend who I care for yeah. outside of romance. I would have loved yeah. that ending a lot, a lot more is if it had taken out that romance part. So much more. Yeah. So have sex with Draco. Of course always aka darkling Darkling. Uh, and then have mal as a friend and have that power of the friendship take over yeah we need more books with platonic friends it's not all sex and it's not all romance and it's not all love triangles it can just be friendship grumble grumble so boo with love triangles unless it turns into polyamory and then yay with love triangles because they're actually polyamory yeah and okay so i read this thing i'm gonna read it to you it's a very good quote. It says, writers turn to the plot convention of high fantasy for a reason. They satisfy fundamental human desires, not merely to belong, but to surpass, to be special, to have power, to be loved. And they do so at a louder volume than does ordinary life. They give us what we crave. The test lies in whether, as we are reading, we feel the dull inward sinking of this again or the exhilarating grasped by the hair lift and thrill of vicarious experience shadow and bone in parts some of both but in the richness of its russian flavor there is much to relish which is very true it does have both the this again and the oh this is really cool and i really dug the russian stuff not just because i'm watching the great on uh hulu right now which you should all watch, but also because it's different enough. It's not medieval castles. It's not British. So it was nice. It's nice that it's Russian. I liked it, even if I can't pronounce anything. Yeah, there is something to be said for having unique settings and backgrounds, or at least not the standard 
medieval fantasy fair. Having said that, you know, what I write on my own is medieval fantasy fair. <laughs> yeah, well, Tolkien's been done. So it's nice to see something different, you know? I like it. I like it. So this reminds me of when I was reading Lord of the Rings. And the thing about Frodo is he was just an ordinary guy. There was nothing special. He wasn't a chosen one. He was just an ordinary guy shoved into this incredible situation. And there is something very appealing about not being a chosen one, of just being, you're the person in the situation and having to deal with it. Yeah. Because that is very human. Or Hobbit. Hobbitian. Hobbitian. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I much prefer the person who steps up and takes care of business as opposed to somebody who has the burden of awesome you know, the chosen one who must blah, 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 blah. That's, I mean, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I love the side characters more than Buffy. And in season six, when Willow finally went dark and started to like, kick Buffy's ass, I have to tell you, I was rooting for Willow. I really wanted Buffy to get every square inch of her ass kicked. Somebody likes Willow. Yes. I noticed that you got the red hair. <laughs> all we need is for the eyes to turn black. <laughs> and to go all veiny. <laughs> rapists of the worlds beware i'm gonna come skin your ass sorry i'm also watching season six of buffy right now <laughs> it's very much in my head but this is the thing i this is why i love having lots of authors and having a, a rich genre is that you can have the chosen one you can have the ordinary man there's room for both mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know i like george R. R. martin because you have women in a patriarchal society and how they have to deal with that in an intelligent way. And then I love having societies that have equality and seeing what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Just like this book. I, I would say this book was totally worth my time. It was a fast read. I mean, you know, it's, it's about 350 pages, but it's a very fast read. Oh, Okay, so this is weird. There's this thing found near Ravka's northern border. Do you have this in your book? There's this this bonus material in mine. No, I don't have that. Yeah, so it says found near Ravka's northern border, and then it's a letter, and it's I can tell that it's written to Alina, and I and I skip to the end, and it's several pages. It's signed M, so it's it's from Mal, but the font. Can you see this? Oh my God, that would be impossible to read. So like the page is dark because it looks like a letter, like an old whatever. And then the- And it's written in the kind of this funky cursive. Well, it is print. It's not cursive, but it's definitely supposed to be like handwriting and it is super hard to read. And I just fucking gave up. I was like, no, I'm sorry. You're not part of the book. So I'm not going to judge you or look at you. And it's after <laughs> the acknowledgements too. So like the only reason I found it is because I always look through the acknowledgements. But yeah, you're right. It's 356 pages and it, it doesn't feel like 356 pages. It does go pretty fast, but also because there was a good chunk of it where I was like waiting for something to happen. It does move. I'm mean, not to say that it dwells like the plot moves along, but be, at some point you're like, oh, okay. So there's going to be a training montage. Then there's going to be this moment where she's going to, you know, have to deal with that one girl in blue that she doesn't like. And then there's, oh, there's probably going to be some kind of party or ball. Oh, there it is. Party or ball. That's what's coming up. Now we have to have our whole getting ready for the party and ball. Oh, now she's wearing a special dress. Makeup montage. Yeah. And, training oh my montage. God. A long discussion of how she looks so good in this dress and like all of this stuff. And I'm just like waiting, waiting, waiting to get to the good stuff. So yeah. But I mean, I'm glad I read it. 
And I can see why people are super into this series. I can, you know, I will admit, I'm like, oh, I might read more of these books, especially as I've heard, um, no spoilers, but I have heard that the writing style, the writing itself improves, but I don't know if that's accurate or not. So having not read any other, other ones. Um, she's a bit of hit and miss with more hits for me. Mm-hmm. So as somebody who's read uh, probably, I think five of her novels so far. Yeah, so, and I said it, I thought it was worth my time, and I'm guessing you agree, because you're the one who was telling me I should read it. I was. Didn't you tell me that I should oh, read Oh, I thought, book? well, we were kind of floating around things for a podcast. I like the author. Oh, okay. So I would love to see Six of Crows done, just because I love the idea of Ocean's Eleven in a fantasy setting. So was this book worth your time? I would say yes. Given okay. that it's a first it's a debut book given that it's a debut book it's a pretty good one she definitely gets better with other series and now we're going to watch the netflix show of shadow and bone and bring you lovely listeners our recaps and discussions of those episodes And then at the very end, after the whole first season, we're going to do an episode where we compare the book and the Netflix show and tell you, well, our thoughts on it, basically. (laughs) I'm really, okay, so here, this is fun because neither one of us have watched it yet. I'm hope, here are some hopes, okay? I hope that we don't see the Volcra. I hope that they just stay shadowy wings, darkness, creepy, right? I feel like that's a thing that if we get to see too much of them, they won't be as scary that the you know the things that come out of the darkness in the ships so i'm really hoping for that i'm hoping that i don't feel like i'm watching stuff through an instagram filter you know like sparkles or like you know hand wavy whatevers i'm hoping for some subtlety in terms of the magic being used and it doesn't look cheesy like that's a hope i hope she doesn't look like michael jackson with the mirror gloves <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. He <laughs> he. Very curious to see how they deal with that because I, I have a very specific image in my head of what those gloves with the mirrors look like and how that's useful in a fight and maybe not always useful in a fight. I am really curious to see how they do a lot of this with technology because mm-hmm. that was one of the sticking points for a long time is you know that you, you don't have the the technology to make these things look really good. Mm-hmm. I think the unsee is a cool ass thing. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Yeah, I hope it looks as Russian as it sounds. I feel like they'll definitely do that. I hope the Darkling, I, I have not even, to, to not get spoiled, Jennifer, I have not looked at who's starring in this at all. Me neither. I am completely virginal brain when it comes to the show. I'm really hoping that the Darkling is as good looking as he is in the book. And I hope that Mal is kind of like a pretty boy, but snivelly. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I was because, thinking that you were going to say, I hope Darkly is wearing leather pants. Well, I think that's a given. <laughs> um, do you have any hopes or, or fears before we watch? To me, like in my head, uh, the Vulcan look a little bit like pterodactyls mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the wings. And so I had thought about keeping them more shadowy. I thought we would actually see what they look like, like, you know, just darkness with all this stuff. Because... Um, the Lord of the Rings adaptation with the Balrog did a really good job of that. And so I have right. high expectations. They were supposed to be people who had been trapped there that got turned. So like my fear is that they're going to look like 
like creepy skeleton humans with wings right and that's that's fine but that's not as scary as as creatures does that make sense yeah like, yeah yeah I, I would love to, to have more like pterodactyl like you said and like to have like snappy almost dragon ish but but wraithy yeah cool. so uh during the stag scene i had some oh. hardcore princess mononoke flashbacks which is a great film if you haven't seen it it's a japanese animation and they have a forest creature and when they they do the thing because they have to do the thing in this book it did a good job of making it feel so profane when they're sawing off the antlers and it feels like you just killed the unicorn. Mm -hmm. It felt a little shortchanged in the book. Like she didn't really describe the stag. And I kind of wish that was a little bit more epic so that you could feel the loss. Mm -hmm. You know, if she had some time, you know, if they had a day of just being around the stag and going, Oh my God, this is amazing. You could have felt the loss more mm -hmm. instead of, yeah, so something like that. I, I'm hoping that comes off very well. It would have been cool if the stag had like saved them or something, and you know, and then they were like traveled with it, you know, or slept with it next to it or something like that. And then like so now there's this bond between them, and yeah. then she's like, I can't kill something. Also, or you can see that you know it has its own magic. It has its effect yeah. on the forest, and that when you're right. killing it, you're, you're really destroying something special magical yeah like it seeing as it walked that the 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 leaves or the the trees change or move or something in its wake you know or that its footprints are i don't know yeah i mean yeah, it'd be really cool to see, see princess on this fucker <laughs> and yeah like and the forest creatures like in its branches <laughs> well <laughs> i i'm also very curious to see how they're going to deal with the like i'm deciding to to give up on mal and then my power works okay i can see that that you could do ver with verbal you know with with conversation but i'm i'm also wondering how they'll do it where so the the darkling is controlling her and mal's about to die again and she's like suddenly i remembered that i didn't actually kill the stag and that because i didn't kill it i actually do have its power even though like the prophecy was that the person who killed it would have its power but i didn't kill it so i have its power do you know how many other people by the way in the world have not killed the stag whatever it's a little point so <laughs> like everybody um, else has so not killed the stag. <laughs> power and i'm going to like bring it back i don't know like there's gonna have to be like cross cuts of like the stag's eyes and her eyes and they're gonna be bleeding into one another and then like i'll see the stag like rearing up and it's antlers flashing in the wind and who who the hell knows but it'll be interesting to see how they how they deal with that that very yeah i was thinking back thing. to ella enchanted i had the power to refuse all the all of them. <laughs> oh tropes. Jennifer, tropes it was friends. a mirror it was a mirror that's why <laughs> not rehash this <laughs> oh my god okay well i'm excited to to watch this episode and then record with you so until then um listeners have you read this book? Have you read all of these books? Please don't send me an email and spoil things for me. I would just, please don't do that. But I would be interested to hear your thoughts about this book, about the adaptation. Again, no spoilers, please. As but if you would like to talk with us during our pop-in event. Mm -hmm. Yes. Actually, this month's pop-in event, because it's June, is going to be our Pride pop-in event. And Jennifer and I are going to be talking to you about our favorite LGBT characters. In oh my God, I have so many. 
Yeah. <laughs> in books and movies. So that'll be a really fun conversation. And then I'm sure we will still be really, because I think I'm going to release these uh, like one week at a time or whatever over the course of the summer. This is our little summer project, Shadow and Bone. So we will be super ready to talk with you at the end of July about uh, Shadow and Bone and what's going on in the show and the book and the whole, the whole thing and the trilogies and all the stuff that's going out. So Look for that. You can find all of our information at Pages and Popcorn Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram at KMMA underscore media and our website, which is KMMAmedia.com. Click on the Pages and Popcorn Podcast link. And until next time, don't hide your beautiful, beautiful light under a bushel named Mal. Don't do it. Agreed. Editor Kalia, again. So here's the plan for how we're going to cover the Netflix series of Shadow and Bone. Since this is our little summer project, we're going to totally flip the script and do something a bit wacky, at least for us. Each Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the next eight weeks, we're going to do a live recording of our discussion about the next episode of the show. So next week, on Tuesday, the 22nd of June, we will discuss episode one. Um, It's called like a big ass burst of light or something along those lines. And the following Tuesday, we will talk about episode two, et cetera, et cetera. There are two fun aspects of these recordings. One, we are inviting you to participate. That's right. If you log into our Zoom meeting, you can share your thoughts about the episode we are discussing. We will ask you to not go past in discussion the episode we're talking about because we're trying to stay a tiny bit spoiler free. And we're also asking that you don't act like a fool and be any sort of troll. The other nifty thing is that I'm not going to do too much in the way of post-recording production. All the ums and ahs and outtakes and silliness will probably still stay in, and I'll just pop them into your feed the next day. I mean, unless there's some sort of upsetting troll behavior, but I really hope that doesn't happen. This means that each Wednesday for the next eight weeks, you will get the gift of our live recording in your feeds. Cool, right? I hope so. All the info about how this is going to work and the Zoom link will be on our website at kmmamedia.com slash pages and popcorn podcast and in our social media feeds. So feel free to watch the episode and then log in to talk about it with us. Oh, and it's totally cool. If you haven't read the book, I'm actually interested to hear from people who aren't comparing it. Okay, end transmission.